Hello, my little mushrooms. I'm back again for another episode of the Fig Widow Cast. It's me, Dana Janae, here to talk to you this week about art. Um, I have a very special guest today, my friend Key Gabriel, who is an incredible, incredible artist who you should buy all the work from. As I speak to you right now, I'm sitting in front of a wall that has not one, not two, but three pieces of original work by Key. Key did my logo for Fig Widow, which is right in front of my face, it's glorious. They also did this portrait of some heirloom tomatoes that I uh, commissioned them for. And they also did this beautiful fig portrait that actually, now I have two figs on my wall by them. And they look very vaginal in nature. Um, And so I like it a lot. But anyway, this week, talking to Key. But first, as you know, I like to do my uh, little recaps of what I'm reading, what I'm writing, what I'm doing this week. So I'll start with what I'm reading. I just, just finished uh, Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. And that book, um, I listened to it as an audiobook, but I wish I would have read a physical copy. Just because it's so rich and it's so difficult to follow the stories of the people um, who are in this book. So if you don't know, the book is about two young girls in Russia who go missing. Um, And the book takes on the different perspectives of people who are somehow connected to the case and eventually comes back to the girls um, at some point in the book and about like their abduction and what it means across very many lines. I don't want to spoil it because it's so well written. It's really good. Um, I'll just tell you to listen to it, read it, do whatever you got to do to get your hands on that book. Your hands are your ears on it. It's really good. Um, I rated it about four stars, which I feel like if I had read a physical copy, it would have been five. But um, just because I had trouble like deciphering who was talking and when they were talking, sometimes I um, just gave it a four, um, which is still a pretty high rating. And also, who am I? Like, this isn't going to have a major effect on the author at all. But I just wanted to let you know that it's a great book and you should read it. Um, still working my way through Ocean Vong, still working my way through poems by Araceli Skarmai. Um, but this week, I'm going to be reading some poems to you from a wonderful and dear person to me, Toy Derricott. If you don't know, if you don't follow writing stuff, Toy was nominated for a National Book Award this past year for her new collection, I, of New and Selected Poems. So I'm going to be reading some poems to you from this book. Let's see if we can get some book ASMR going. Yeah, that's the stuff right there. Okay. This one is called Sex in Old Age. Are we asexual now? Touching each other tenderly 
more tenderly than a mother, the dear, dear body in our hands. You touch me as if each cell of you remembers where I live. I live here and here. Everywhere you touch moves as if a breath is passing over baby hairs. Your hand passing down my back, cupping my buttocks. I can't remember in between. My body is lost in your making. My mind asking, what is this quick parting of dead cells? This brushing away of small planets. You are too naked to take in like the whole David. Oh, nipple of light on my tongue. Oof. Nipple of light. Okay, this one is called Black Boys Play the Classics. The most popular act in Penn Station is the three black kids in ratty sneakers and t-shirts playing two violins and a cello. Brams. White men in business suits have already dug into their pockets as they pass and they toss in a dollar or two without stopping. Brown men in work-soiled khakis stand with their mouths open arms crossed on their bellies, as if they themselves have always wanted to attempt those bars. One white boy, three, sits cross-legged in front of his idols in ecstasy, their slick dark faces, their thin wiry arms, who must begin to look like angels. Why does this trembling pull us? A. Beneath the surface, we are one. B, amazing. I did not think that they could pull. They could speak this tongue. Hmm. Ooh, what's this? Ah, oh, man. Okay. This is, uh, okay. <laughs> when I touched her. When I touched her for the first time, I swooned with wonder. For the full lips swelled, a dark fruit bloomed under my fingers. I could not breathe with my hand there. She let me stroke the lips inside the lips, that double swelling beneath the clitoris like the violin's undertone, which lifts the whole body from its anal seat. She moaned without thought and spoke to guide me higher so that my fingers could find the hill whereon the goddess looked out with equanimity and calm. Man. <sighs> okay, I'm going to read one more just because I, I have to. I have to. National Book Award nominee. Got to. Okay, this one's just called Ellipsis. It's not called ellipsis, but the title is an ellipsis. The poem is change. The poem in change. The end of the poem is change. The change in the poem. 
to change by the poem, to hold the change in the poem, to be changed by the poem. The poem is change. To change by writing the poem, the writing is change. To hold the change in the writing, to hold the change by writing, to breathe through the change, to write through the change, to breathe by writing, to write by breathing, to change by breathing. The change is breathing. To hold the breath, to hold the writing, to hold the change, to hold it and let it go. Man, fucking toy. God damn it. Ah, joy is an act of resistance. That's the quote on the back of the book. Joy as an act of resistance. I'm so happy that poetry brings me such joy because it means that I'm resisting every time I do this. I re- read you guys poems. I read myself poems. I write a poem. I I fight every time I do that. And that is an, an incredible concept. I just love it. Mm. Okay. So that's the end of our first segment. I'll be back in a second to talk about my untoppable bop for this week. And I'm back for everybody's favorite, Untoppable Bops. My God, this week's Untoppable Bop is like queen, queen shit, queen Untoppable Bop, because it's by none other than the legendary, the one, the only Prince. R.I.P. Prince. My God. So this week's Untoppable Bop is Controversy by Prince. Why? One, it's fucking Prince. Two, when that beat comes in and you get a little bit of shoulder popping, you're just like, mm, 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 mm. And then the synth comes in and then you get a little bit of hip action with your shoulder pump. So, mm, 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 mm. And then the vocals come in that are the, that like staccato vocal that he does. It's like, ooh. And the, the tenor of his voice is also just like fucking, oh my God, I wish you could see me right now. I wish there was a visual, uh, visual component to this podcast. I should record myself because I'm really just dancing right now to sing about the song. Also, the lyrics of that song are like, ugh, do I believe in God? Do I believe in me? Some people want to die just to be free. Ooh, damn, damn. And also that little breakdown at the end that like, people call me rude. I wish we all were nude. Like, hell yeah, of course. I wish we all were nude too. That would be so wonderful. But yeah, I love this song because it's like, I think there are very big Prince hits like When Doves Cry, Kiss, Purple Rain, um, I Would Die For You. Those are the ones that people think of a lot when they're like, my favorite Prince song is XYZ. Um, but this is one of my favorites along with, I think my ultimate favorite is How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore? Just cause it's a good one to like be sad too. <laughs> and I love to be sad um, and like singing along to sad songs, music and stuff like that. And just like wallowing a little bit 
because um, that's the kind of person I am, to be honest. But yeah, this song is just like, it's funky, it's a little bit poppy, it's very, um, very smart as well. It's smart in a way that like, you don't need a fucking PhD to get it, but it's just like making some commentary that is like, uh, like on point for sure. I just love that song a lot. I want to play it, but I know that I can't out of respect for the G, R.I.P. to Prince. Thank you for providing us with endless, endless, timeless bops over and over and over again. If you hear a sound right now, that's my ring. I have this Scorpio ring that has a secret component in it. It has like a, uh, a little compartment is the word I'm looking for that you can put, um, if you're into Coke, you could put Coke in there. If you're into uh, being a little bit devious, you could put, I don't know, maybe some cyanide, crack it open, pop it in somebody's tea. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying that if you would want to do something like that, it is a possibility with this ring. Um, but yeah, Prince, this song is so good. When will I learn? to put this goddamn phone on silent. So Prince, as I was saying, controversy, great song, great man, great person, great individual, great mind. Love that's on the death. Um, I can't wait to figure out what keys on top of Bop is. I'm so excited to ask, um, but yeah. So this week's is Controversy by Prince with a close follow-up. Um, one of my other favorite bops by him is Jimmy Baby, which is like, ah, oh man. It was one of the first songs I ever heard by Prince. And I was young when I heard it. Um, my parents were like very anti-MTV and like modern music. Um, but somehow Prince and his very explicit music and lyrics ended up in my like repertoire. So that's weird, but I'm forever internally, externally, spiritually grateful for it. So shout out to Prince and that song. All right, back from On Top of a Bops with my guest for this week. Everybody say hello to Key Gabriel. Hi, Key. Uh, hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How are you today? Doing all right. Recovering from a cold, as is the Tradition in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> We're always recovering from colds around here. Yeah. Okay, so I have some questions for you, um, if you're ready to answer some. Yeah, I think so. Sweet. First question. When did you first discover an interest in drawing and making art? Um, well, I would say, like, my whole life. Um, I think kids are kind of... People are born with this, like, want to create, draw, doodle, you know, fiddle around on paper and sand or whatever. And um, that sticks with some people and it doesn't stick with others. And I think it's stuck with me. I can remember being proud of myself in kindergarten for drawing um, little people that had like chunky legs and mm -hmm. chunky arms instead <laughs> of stick figures. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, I drew them all, you know more accurately or whatever um also having like a critical eye at, uh, as a child is kind yeah. of rough <laughs> but 
but um, I'm always been interested in it, um, loved consuming art and trying to make it whatever that means. Yeah. Were you like an art school kid? Um, yeah, as much as my like district would allow, mm -hmm. um, we had like a trades program and that, you know, that wasn't necessarily for me because there was a lot of like auto body stuff and wood shop and some, um, technical programs, but my school did in the high school offer multiple photography classes and painting and drawing and stuff like that. Um, even some pottery. And I tried to take as much of that as I could. And within like five years after I graduated, I found out they started having classes that you could get college credit for. And I was like, um, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also very happy for them that they're able to do that and give kids a, like a head start a little bit. For sure. Yeah. Did you take any of those classes? Like pottery and stuff? Oh, yeah. I took, um, I think there was like photography one, two, and three. I took those. Um, I took like all the drawing classes I could. Um, the I think like maybe one of the pottery. There was like a jewelry making class too. Um, I think I even tried to switch like my elective period or study period to hanging out in the um, art class. I think I tried to like mentor a little bit my okay. final year or two of high school as well. It's a long time ago now. <laughs> what happened after high school? But um, yeah, I really loved loved it. I even after I graduated, I went back and tried to talk to the art kids about what art art in college was like. <laughs> Which um, you know, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. But I it was good to like I never got to see that like kids who are in art school like come back and be like yeah you can actually like pursue this um for as sure. a career in any capacity um so yeah yeah that's dope yeah I was really lucky I know a lot of a lot of schools across the country are lacking in funding for basic requirement classes mm -hmm. let alone like art or music or anything like that I also tried to take as many like writing and poetry classes as I yeah. could but uh it wasn't as, as easy for me as the um, other art stuff. Yeah. I've read some of what you've written before. It's pretty good. I like it. <laughs> I feel like that's a, some uh, big tall words coming from you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Do you remember what was the first thing that you drew where you were like, oh, shit. Like, I can really do this. Um. Yeah, there was all kinds of, like, even in high school exercises, um, learning about like curiosity drawing where you are not allowed to um, put any like hard lines down mm. um, was always a challenge for me because I like to like outline and then shade from there. Um, but those you have to just kind of go in very softly and build up your shapes without drawing the hard outlines of anything. Um, doing that practice and being like, oh, wow, that looks, you know, even moderately, uh, I would say like professional mm -hmm. like you know like oh that could be like real art um I don't know who decides that but in my head I'm like super critical of my own stuff yeah. and I'm always like that's not art <laughs> that's <laughs> not art that's that's just a doodle um uh -huh. 
but I got a year. There was like senior showcases. And when I was in my junior year, I was able to nab a, a senior showcase for art. Oh. And uh, I was really proud of all the like pencil drawings I put in there and stuff. And, um, you know, I didn't really see anyone else in my school doing the things I was doing. And I think that's when I kind of was like, oh, maybe I'm like, maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is art and it's not just a doodle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking back now, I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> I was a kid, but I did it all right, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think in high school is when I really, you know, figured out this is I like what I'm doing I think it's good enough in my own critical voice you know mm-hmm. to pursue yeah definitely yeah anything anything creative like that you know outside of like an office job or some something like that yeah absolutely so this question I really like to ask people because I want to know what they're like inside behind the scenes life is like yeah um so what does your studio space look like and what are weird things that you have to have to make a workspace for yourself oh man um so my studio space is like anywhere and everywhere Mm -hmm. um I I'm like always multitasking at home because I'm a parent um so I don't have my own studio space I just carve out the corner of a room um, wherever I am, it could be the corner of a coffee shop or the corner of a friend's living room. Um, I have a little <laughs> box um, that was my dad's when he was a child, um, and that has all of my basics in it: um, tracing paper, some smaller pieces of the paper I work on, um, like rulers, uh, erasers, uh, pe- uh, my inkwell pens, inks, uh, paintbrushes. <clears throat> And that allows me to try to just pack up between a backpack and that box and uh, make a space wherever I can. I need some kind of like flat surface, whether it's a floor or a table. Um, That's pretty much it. Um, A little bit of space to sprawl, but not not too, too much. Um, So, yeah, I have a corner. I have a, a corner of my dining room. I have a table and everything, you know, unpacks and repacks um, so that, you know, things don't get lost or taken by tiny hands. <laughs> um, and then I'm able to, because I'm already kind of set up like that, I'm able to take the whole show on the road to a coffee shop or um, a friend's house or a park if it's weather permitting. And kind of that's my studio for the time being. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that that like scarcity of space affects how you make art or like the sort of style of art that you gravitate towards? Definitely. Um, When I'm working on larger pieces that take more time, I am like absolutely terrified um, that something's going to happen to them (laughs) before they're finished or even when they are finished um, because the nature of my environment. you know, things get thrown around and splashed and all that stuff. Um, So I'm always kind of weary. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I try to work quickly and I try to, you know, again, pack everything up when I can so that 
nothing goes missing, nothing gets misplaced. Maybe perhaps things don't get water splashed on them or paint splashed on them or any other weird fluids that might be get thrown around. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think I could, yeah. If I worked in, like, oil where, like, the paints had to be open and mm. um, you use um, different, like, I think, like, mineral spirits and things, which can be dangerous um, for you and other people and animals. Um, I don't know where I would work because yeah. that's something that has to be out and kind of it takes time to dry. Um, you usually work on it for quite a while. And I'm not sure how that would translate into my current um, mm -hmm. lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. You know, what materials do you use when you make art? Um, a lot of, um, I've, I've come to enjoy working on like found objects, um, oh. anything flat kind of pieces of wood out of the trash. Um, I just finished a piece on like a tin serving tray that I'm very excited about. Okay. Um, also, um, arches, watercolor paper, paper. I use hot press, um, which has less texture to it. The cold press is usually kind of bumpy, which is beautiful, but it doesn't necessarily work well with my style because I do a lot of clean lines mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to drag a clean line across a bumpy surface. <clears throat> yeah, but the hot, um, the hot press is really nice and smooth. Um, I use watercolor paper because I often use acrylic inks and I use them as almost a watercolor, but they dry really fast. Um, and they also set so that if you go over with another color, you're not going to pick it up and push it around. Mm. So, yeah, that's the that's the advantage and disadvantage at the same time of the acrylic inks is that, you know, you can kind of play with it like watercolor, but um, you, you can't push it around after. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of once it's there, it's there. Um, and I also have started using more regular acrylic paints on um, usually the found objects um, because ink soaks in really quickly to the wood. Um, it can kind of run with the grain mm -hmm. and not stay where you put it. So the yeah. um, acrylic paints are thick enough that they just lay down and you don't have to worry about them running away from you as much. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's... So what I stick with right now is like acrylic based stuff and almost any flat service yeah. I can manage to work on. Do so. you like having like the, I guess, permanence or pressure of the acrylics? Because it seems like it would make it hard to like do something again or like fuck up. Yeah. It, 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 yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's definitely like the pressure is on. Um, that's one of the things that, like, because I'm always multitasking while I'm, like, painting mm -hmm. due to the nature of that environment. Um, and, you know, once you could, like, mix up the perfect color uh, and you only have so long to work with it before it dries out and yeah. it turns into, like, plastic and you can't do anything with it except for peel it out and maybe, like, squish it a little. Um, so with the acrylic inks and the acrylic paint, you only have so much time um, to work with it before it dries. Um, and once you put it down, that's kind of it. 
Um, with a, just the acrylic paint, it's easier because you can paint over it and um, not, not worry. You can like blend it a little bit better with mixing more paint together and yada yada. But with the acrylic inks, using them as a watercolor, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 high pressure. It's a high pressure yeah. way to work. <laughs> um, but I kind of enjoy that those moments where like you're like. You're so focused in, and you have to be in order to draw this line or get this little bit of shading right at the moment. And I work pretty small scale, so I think it, you know, that benefits my the situation and and how I work. Um, because if I was doing like large scale stuff, acrylic ink would be not a great choice, um, just because it would be too much. Uh, the cover mm -hmm. um, and the technique I used probably wouldn't go over very well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, it's a, it's a high pressure scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, though, I, yeah, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy like the challenge of it. Part of the reason I got into using those things was um, my apprenticeship. You know, skin is not very forgiving. Once you put the ink down, there it is until, you know, you're all healed and stuff. And then you can blast over it again. Um, but that first go is, that's it. That's what you got. Um, so using those acrylic inks and the watercolor paper in the way with spit shading, that's another thing, mm. um, where you like put ink down, say to make a shading in one area, you put it down and you can use spit, but you can also <laughs> use water. You take like another brush and you drag it past the line you just did. And it, you know, it makes like a nice little gradient as you do that. So you have oh, okay. like black line and then you take another brush with water and you drag it next to it and it'll give you like this perfect little black to white, oh. you're working on a white paper gradient. Um, and that's what I use like pinups and stuff that looks more tattoo mm. style. Okay. Um, that's all those little tiny gradients for shading are usually like spit shading. And that's, you know... <clears throat> All this stuff was supposed to benefit my technique when, uh, when and if, if and when I get in, back into the tattoo industry. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your apprenticeship a little bit? Um, we can. I, uh, I was really lucky to um, get in with some wonderful people um, who were, like, it was so great. Um, There's a lot of things that you can encounter as a woman or a femme in the tattoo industry sure. that can be harmful to you. Um, and I'm so lucky I did not encounter any of that. Um, it felt like family. Uh, they were very supportive. A lot of things happened in my life in like the second year of my apprenticeship that I just kind of had to give up on it. Um, I had not one, but like two deaths in the family in a very short period of time. And at the same time I was um, pregnant, I was going to have my first kid. So all of those things combined made this like shit storm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I can't do this. I was working a full-time job and doing that on the side, yeah. which is what most apprentices have to do. Because it's unpaid, it's unpaid work. You're, you know, it's a privilege to be able to get in and to work there. Um, 
but that's where all your extra time goes. And I, I needed it for me, um, to get my shit together. Cause like everything was falling apart. Um, I'm so grateful for um, the opportunity they gave me. I got as far as, um, being able to purchase my own machines. Ooh. Yeah. Which I still have That's because nice. I, I kind of made a promise to myself that like, I'm going to do it one yeah. day. Um, and I did get to tattoo myself once. And then, um, I, I like got to tattoo, um, the person I was studying under. And I, you know, I was like work I was doing, I had done like pigskin I was working my way there and like just as I was about to like bridge the gap and go into like working on people, um, all this stuff happened. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I was, I was devastated for a while and I tried to get back into it after things, what I thought had settled down, things were not settled down enough (laughs) for me to go back. Um, so that's the door that's always like open for me. I, uh, I just, you know, things, in my opinion, things kind of all happen for some kind of reason. Um, and I needed time for yeah. myself and that's okay. I, I was going to be no good to anybody in my life as like a friend or even with such a important task of being, you know, this like, you're like an intimate part of someone's life when you sit there with them for half an hour or three hours mm-hmm. tattooing on them. Um, it's usually pretty personal and a lot of people it's important for a lot of people. Um, so I would be no good to anybody if I couldn't, you know, connect. Yeah, for sure. Um, and in, in like any capacity while you're performing this, um, it's like a customer service job, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I'm taking a big, long breath <laughs> and hoping I can get back to that at some point. For sure. But it definitely influenced my style and what yeah. I work with and how I work. Definitely. You know, if you, you get a walk-in, you have to come up with something usually within like 20 minutes. Yeah. And just be like, okay, here you go. This is going to be on your body for the rest of your life. <laughs> is it good? Okay. You know, so that, you know. That's also like a really high pressure yeah. scenario, but uh, I, yeah, I might be like addicted to that. I don't know. Yeah, the high pressure maybe thing. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works for now. Yeah, definitely. It seems to be working pretty well for you. Um, I have a question that's completely unrelated. Yes. Um, your shirt. There's a uh, pads in it. Did you put those in there yourself? Oh yeah, I have these yeah. little shoulder pads that um, I. I stole out of another Goodwill shirt because I was like, oh, no, wait. They were in the dressing room, like, on the table thing they have in there. I was like, who would discard such shoulder pads? <laughs> because I'm a huge fan of shoulder pads. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're just shoulder pads that I absconded with <laughs> from Goodwill. And um, I just try to wear them almost every day now. <laughs> I because like I like it. the, you know, the boxy shoulder look. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm very into it. Um, even with a t-shirt, which is, I'm wearing a v-neck t-shirt, and I put shoulder pads in that. So, you can do it. You can yeah. do it with anything. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a button-up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm always here for more shoulder pads. 
Um, okay, so we were just talking about your style a little bit. So why do you gravitate gravitate toward making individual handmade pieces instead of digital or like um, prints, all that sort of stuff? Um, one of the one part of that is really easy. I don't even have a computer. Okay. So doing anything digitally is like incredibly out of reach for me at this point. Um, can't even get started. I mean, I like mess around with a half-ass Photoshop to like get my ideas together sometimes, mm -hmm. um, it's like conceptual work. Um, but often it's like too much trouble and I just go straight to paper. So the digital aspect is like, way far away out of reach for mm -hmm. me and it just makes it not doable it's been a long time since i had a computer that worked um and even when i did and through school and stuff um i would always use whatever they had on campus um and the programs they had on campus because all of those programs are like wildly expensive yeah i don't know how people afford for those no, no one will give me a loan at this point, even to buy like a software, <laughs> because of uh, you know student loans and that whole uh, crisis. Yeah, I'm part of that. Um, where else? What else? I missed the other part of those. The question. <laughs> uh, Why do you gravitate toward making individual handmade pieces oh, yeah. instead of digital or prints and stuff like that, or, um, like, more easily? Yeah, reproducible. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, even outside of the digital work, um, I don't really make prints either. I use um, a lot of neon ink and also metallic paints. And I've tried to either take pictures or even scan those kind of items in to see about getting prints made. And right there, the quality is lost. Yeah. I've I've tried over and over again. Um, even when I take pictures of stuff for Instagram, especially with metallics, I usually put a little clip in there at the end because even a picture of the metallics, you miss out on a lot of depth. Mm -hmm. um, and even trying to take pictures of neons at times is hard finding the right lighting because you may yeah. lose the rest of the piece. Our eyes are able to differentiate um, and kind of adjust without even thinking about it. Um, to get a good idea of the whole image. And a camera is like, oh my god, the neon's so bright. And then you like lose the depth in the other areas because it's trying to white balance or, yeah. you know, um, appropriately adjust for the lighting on a neon. And then if you go to the background where perhaps it's darker, then the neon's going to like blow out mm -hmm. and um, not be the right color or just, it's very difficult to, um, a lot of my stuff. It is difficult to capture. Almost all of the gold metallics um, and neons just don't scan at all. Yeah. And that's like the one way that you make prints is you just scan it and you can send a file and get everything made. And it looks like pretty much the same. You might have to adjust a little bit, but usually not much. So uh, the mediums in which I work and use just don't like allow for that um you can go back in and embellish prints i thought about that too but for me it just seems more convenient and less money at the usually at the time 
um, to just make another copy. Um, the way I work most of the time includes like a sketch or a hard line drawing that I then um, move on to like my final paper. And that's kind of like from my apprenticeship. You always like sketch out and then you have like a line drawing. And yeah. from that line drawing, you can make a stencil or you can take it, put it, trace it again and like make a color rendering. So I have all these like line drawings from all these different kinds of pieces that I've made where I can just go through my files, literal paper files, <laughs> and kind of pull something out and maybe blow it up with my scanner or reduce it um, and make other copies of that and make them personal. Um, I've done that for you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really special is to be able to, like, recreate something but um, tweak it, you yeah. know, for the specific, not like your audience in general, but a specific person. It creates a um, kind of like special moment between you and your client at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the, the drawing that you did for me for my birthday, that one, I was just thinking about like the metallics in that one and how yeah. hard it was to try and get a picture of it. Yeah. I did it justice. So I did like a an Instagram boomerang of it, right. but it still like wasn't capturing Enough, it. right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's really hard to get that on like camera or film or whatever. But in person, mm. right? You're just like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more key. All right. We're back. Uh, so this question that I have for you is one that I haven't asked anybody yet, but I'm interested to see what your answer is. Oh, boy. <laughs> so what non-artist was the most influential to you as you started to find your own voice and style? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I am probably like the worst person to ask this first question <laughs> because my whole life, when they're like, who's your idol? Um, even as a kid, I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was never, I've never been able to like have a favorite movie, have a favorite mm -hmm. artist, have a favorite song. Um, none of that has come yeah. to me like easy. I can't, if you ask me now, like what's your favorite um, specific, t like one food, one meal, I couldn't tell you. I can tell you I love potatoes though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a, uh, <laughs> something most people know about me. Um, <laughs> so as far as, as um, like, influential people go, non-artist people, yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> I can't answer because I, I, I'm, like, a great consumer of uh, mm. media uh, online, um, and that's where all of my wild ideas come from. I see... Say Instagram is a pretty big part of my like ideation phases, because um, I'll you know explore on the explore page and see things that really stand out to me and think about like how I could mix images or like how I could push them mm. further um, or you know uh, um, maybe change them so that they're. Um, more reachable to other people uh, but I don't have there's not like one person out there who even 
artists influences me or non-artists. Um, I just, it's all of life. I think mm -hmm. that really um, I find the most inspiring, especially like interpersonal relationships. And those are the things that like stand out the most to me is like when people are vulnerable um, in different ways that always is like striking me. Even just being a creative and putting your creative stuff out there is an act of vulnerability. Um, and that always stands out to me. Yeah. Yeah. But Instagram is like really important in being able to access uh, stuff from all over the place, clicking on someone's name, clicking on their next person's name who um, is tagged in their post, just like exploring the heck out of Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably where I get most of my inspo from. <laughs> uh, when you do make pieces, I, I've noticed that you do a lot of uh, people that are like not often depicted in art. Um, and especially in the ways that you do it. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like how you choose your subjects and why you choose the ones that you do? Um, yeah, I think it's always, I, I always gravitate towards people. I can't tell you the last time I painted or drew like a building or a chair. Um, it's almost always people. Um, sometimes other living things like fruit or, mm -hmm. <laughs> tomatoes mm -hmm. <laughs> or uh you know flowers um we usually always living things um that's I think that's part of a little bit it touches on that like exposing life vulnerability um the people that stand out to me and the people that I often choose to make <clears throat> a subject are I find them at times, I catch them at times being, you know, vulnerable on the platforms they choose, speaking out on issues that are important to them, speaking out on issues that are important to other people who might, you know, not be getting the kind of access um, across like social media that they need. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of like social awareness that goes into um, maybe picking subjects, also trying to depict people in ways that are like compelling and not ever um, fetishizing because mm -hmm. um, it's like a dance, you know, you have to kind of find the right steps as you go um, to get the message across. Uh, I don't really know how I managing to do it if I'm doing it at all um but I'm trying yeah. <laughs> trying to you know <clears throat> show people more variety in life because it's there you know this is everywhere you go you see all different kinds of people um not just what you see in mainstream media and we know this is a truth yeah so we should show the like truth can we not can we get can we you know yeah. be done with this <laughs> like you know <clears throat> always happy um or at least you know doing okay kind of like average usually average skinny or fit uh, healthy often white mm -hmm. 
bodies like all over the place. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know where people are living. That's like all they see, but it's not what I see. Yeah, not at all. Um, where everyone looks the same and has like the same kind of, you know, balanced features and blah, blah, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's not how life is. Yeah, exactly. I think that artists have been like deriving inspiration from that sort of very tall, thin, but hourglass shape, especially for female bodies for like the longest time and it's depicted everywhere and like painting and photography and yeah. sculpture. And it's like, how much longer are we going to do this before somebody just says like, there are other bodies, there are other people that can be depicted in art. Right. Um, and that's why I like your art so much because I can like come to it and see bodies that look like mine or like look like my friends that I have yeah. who are, don't fit into that very tight, very, constrictive mold of like what is aesthetically pleasing for like an often very like patriarchal white supremacist view of what beauty is yeah 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 they I mean when you're going to art school they teach you all this shit about where it comes from and why people paint this way or paint these subjects and stuff um and, you know, the female form and the ones that they continue to depict are somehow based on, like, fertility and more of that patriarchal bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you don't need that body to be fertile. Yeah. <laughs> like, so what are we talking about? What kind of excuse is that? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, there's people all over who look like that who aren't. There's people all over who don't look like that who are, like, wildly fertile like what the, <laughs> that has nothing na- nature is there's you know <laughs> there's all kinds of people and bodies out there and the, yeah we got to break the the mold or whatever the heck the rule i don't know yeah, yeah fuck the man <laughs> like, <laughs> to be honest. i'm i think everyone and you can see it on social media is like done with this yeah, idea for sure there's lots of new companies, new entrepreneurs who are breaking that mold, who are showing black, brown, indigenous, um, trans, queer, differently abled bodies um, in ad campaigns and to, you know, explore their creative work and all that stuff. And like, yes, yes, let's show the whole full bouquet of human life Mm because it's incredible. And worthy. Yeah. Definitely we're always worthy. Yeah. Sweet. Um, We sort of already answered my next question, which is what is more appealing to draw living or non-living subjects? Yeah, just don't draw non-living things, I guess. Yeah. Where's the life in that? I mean, someone, like, created that, most likely. Yeah, for sure. But I'm way more, I would rather draw, like, someone fucking drawing architecture than... Yeah. Just draw the or paint the architecture. Uh, it's beautiful, but you know, it's kind of it, to me. It's like background noise. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful background noise. <laughs> <laughs> but the you know the people um, in front of it are always they stand out to me. Um, psychology is really um, something I'm interested in, especially. Um, interpersonal relationships, how people relate to each other. 
how um, we relate to the world, how we relate to ourselves. And like that, I think, continues to be, if it's on purpose or not, I think it comes through um, in my work for the most part. Um, I don't know if I make, because I'm so conscious of so many things, when I make even pictures of people, I don't think it's ever something you just look at and you're like, huh, okay, pretty picture, and you walk out. I think a lot of this stuff um, makes you think about, like, who you are viewing it. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to try to keep doing that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know? Definitely. Um, Okay, last question. What is a common problem you face in your creating and how do you overcome it? Big, excuse me, biggest problem is myself. Um, Always. (laughs) I, um, you know, I'm not pretty critical of myself in all areas, but especially this like art thing. I'm like, you're not a real artist. Nobody wants to see that. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good enough. Um, you messed up here, you messed up there. And, you know, there's all these messages that I try to tell things. I try to tell myself, like if I mess up a line real bad, or if I go outside the line with paint or something, I'm like, you want to know what? He, you're a fucking human. Humans mess up. Mm -hmm. You're not a machine. So it's okay. Those are the things where you look at it and you're like, oh yeah. A fucking human made that because they messed up right there. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, sometimes those little things are like those imperfections are what make things even more beautiful, you know? I, uh, yeah, the voice in my head that's like, no one wants to see that can be one of the biggest turtles to cross in um, creation for myself. Um, for a long time, I had a really hard time just making what I wanted mm-hmm. um, instead of, like, things people wanted me to make. So finding my voice and deeming myself worthy to create just because I want to um, has been, like, a big struggle and still is. Um, that, yeah, that critical voice inside my head um, is probably my biggest obstacle yeah second biggest is like time Mm. um i don't have a lot of free time and even the time i spend doing my art is often uh paired with other important tasks yeah for sure um but yeah that first one's always me i stare at something for this piece that i did the tin um tray piece i stared at the tin tray for like i feel like maybe even three months or more Mm. and played with ideas and what to put on there and whatever. And then eventually you just have to do it just to do something. Mm -hmm. You can change it, but you got to get started. Um, And you have to take yourself a little less seriously (laughs) to be able to do all of that stuff. So yeah, that goes with being self-critical and all that. You just got to be like, Oh, no one likes it. That's, that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's always, really difficult to have like yourself be a barrier to your art because other things are like not always but they're usually something that could be like placed to the side or like dealt with in a way that like you can remove yourself from it or remove it from you but like 
you can't escape yourself. No. <laughs> you cannot. Ever, you can change your environment, your yeah. scenery, the state you're in. doesn't matter if you're the one stopping yourself. Yeah. Uh, you're your own problem everywhere you go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I always think about times in my like creating where I've been sort of lost in that phase of like, I'm not a real writer. Like there are other writers in my community that are doing really great things that are so much better than me. And like, why should I continue if they're like, just gonna keep winning all the things and doing all these great stuff. Um, and just like, the one that I get the most is like, nobody cares about this. Like, yeah. why would you write this? Nobody cares about your trauma or your problems or like what you have to say about anything. Um, for me, it just like, helps to take some time to like just stare at the page and let myself, let whatever is happening going on, like the silence wise, just like speak to me a little bit and then come back and write it anyway, just because like, I like to think that there are two people that exist within me and one is like me and the other one is like this little bitch that just like wants to tear me apart yeah. a little bit. And so like, I consider that person an inauthentic view of myself that has been like informed by different people, different like systems of oppression that don't want to see you thrive. And so like letting that inauthentic self dictate what I create is a disservice to myself and probably other people that identifies the same way as I do and that like probably would benefit from hearing my story um, and like the things that I have to say. And so letting that authentic me come through and just like write shit down, even if it sucks, even if like I hate it when I first write it, it's always, it always feels better than like retreating into myself and saying like, well, nobody cares, you know? Yeah. 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 But it's, it's so, it's like easy to just be like, oh, whatever, nobody cares yeah. and forget about it. Yeah. And be disappointed. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if it's true for a lot of people, but it's comfortable for me. Mm. I don't particularly love it, but it's comfortable. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's harder to to give yourself permission mm -hmm. um, to be heard, to be seen, to carve out a space for yourself, especially if you're doing something that like nobody else that you know is doing yeah. or anyone close to you is doing. Um, it can be really to be like the first one. Yeah. It'd be very difficult. Definitely. Um, to be doing something different. Yeah, it is very difficult sometimes. But people deserve to hear what you're, you have to say and what you have to write. Thanks. Yes. People deserve to see what you have to create. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> We're so validating. Yes. <laughs> okay. So do you have like anything going on in the near future that you want to talk about? Oh yeah. Um, oh my god. Uh, I um, yeah. Since my showcase in high school, junior, <laughs> my senior showcase that I got when I was a junior, I have not made much of an effort to put together a display of my work, like body of my work, uh, cross section of my work, really um, anywhere outside of whatever was like mandated. Um, for um, school and my education. Um, so I am finally at a place where I have what I feel like is enough work of 
enough quality to have a show. Mm. Um, her pieces fell together in the midst of Mercury retrograde, right? <clears throat> mm. which I was like, oh, my God, this is a bad decision. <laughs> I can't make a plan to have a show in the middle of this. Everything's going to fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it. I just did it. I said yes um, to an opening, and I'm going to have my first solo show at a coffee shop. You know, it's not like a gallery, um, but I'll probably get a lot more access um, to people um, of all different kinds than I would at perhaps a gallery that's only open on Saturday, Sunday. It's yeah. a coffee shop that has a lot of hours and um, has also um, uh, some kitty cats in there. Yeah. So I'm going to get um, a little bit extra um, exposure. Um because this is like a multi-purpose kind of business. Yeah. Um, the Black Cat Market. Um, I followed them before they even got off the ground. I followed. I've been following them for years. It's, it feels like years yeah, now. Um, when they, you know, were trying to get it together and um, find like a place that would hold their business and make it accessible. You know, accessible to everybody that they could have. Um, a space for like cats and adoption as well as like coffee and whatever cafe stuff. Um, and they did it. They got it. They got it in a good neighborhood for kind of like hip (laughs) stuff and, um, good like access for people. Um, and they've done a lot of really great, like community, I guess, events, um, which make, have made it, um, seem like a, a safe place, especially for um, maybe more marginalized voices. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to get in there and be able to show my work there of all places because yeah. I know that the crowd that goes there and that their um, like ideals are in line, you know, with like my personal beliefs. I may have to censor some of my work yeah. a bit because uh, it gets a little racy here and there. <laughs> <laughs> but I got some sparkly gold um, washi tape. So oh, okay. I just gonna put that on the nipples and I'm going <laughs> to put that on the privates if I need to and uh, it should be good to go. <laughs> um, keep it, you know, PG, PG or PG-13. I don't know if it's censored out if it's still PG-13. I would say PG-13. Yeah. 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 That's my solution. Because I, that's the other thing I, like, run into is, like, where can I go that I can, you know, show everything? Yeah. Because um, sometimes my content is a little much. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, just a group of maybe non-city folk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know, depending. I don't know. I feel like you just get exposed to a lot more um, when you live in a city. I think so, too. Um, and not that you can't outside of a city, but perhaps it's a little bit more jarring mm-hmm. um, when you're not used to seeing all kinds of stuff, all kinds of people, all kinds of things um, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's the date? What's the time? Um, it's gonna be. I think it's. Oh, 
I don't even know. Uh, the first Saturday of December? I think it's the 7th. I think so, too. Um, I'm so bad with numbers that I can't even remember dates. Yes. <laughs> December Saturday, December 7th, um, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Black Hat Market. Um, that's on Butler Street um, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. In Lawrenceville. Yeah. So um, I hope to see everybody that's listening there. <laughs> it's going to be up all month. So like if you can't make that date, um, totally cool. Just, you know, grab a coffee. Maybe um, check out the cats there. Yeah. The adoptable cats there. Um, I think there's a small fee to get in there. But who doesn't love to like just hang out with some cats? Yeah. Get some love. Yeah, it's like five dollars for an hour, I think, which is like really cheap for hang times with cats. So if you're in Pittsburgh and you like cats and aren't allergic, and even if you are allergic and just want to risk it, you can go in there and pet cats and take they're all medicine, super sweet. Right? Yeah, take, take some, some medicine. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> a cat. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you? Oh, um, yeah, I don't have an official website, but I do have an Instagram, yeah. which I feel like everybody, basically everybody has now. Um, and that's underscore Gabzart underscore. Um, it's G-A-B-Z-A-R-T. Okay. Um, you can view all my work there. Um, occasional updates about different things, um, as well as um, I have a special pricing policy. If you're interested in purchasing some of my work, um, there's a policy up on there, which makes it more accessible to people who, you know, could be considered marginalized or be it, you know, because of the system um, that we live in, in the United States, often are at a socioeconomic disadvantage. And I um, really try very hard to keep my prices low and then to make it even more accessible. Um, to purchase art for people who may may not always have that option. Um, I'm someone who really can't afford to purchase art. So always up for a trade. Um, we can work it out. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you for coming and talking to me. Thank you for having me. I was so terrified. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, but this was a not painful at all yeah good so thank you no <laughs> oh my goodness hi there do you like what i do here as in making this podcast uh, attending events and reading at them making my own events and reading at them having other people read at those events then you can support me in the easiest way possible you can become a patron to my patreon at patreon.com slash poet you can subscribe for as little as one dollar a month you can do five you can do 25 you can do 100 if you're balling like that but it's not necessary to be balling to give a little bit of money to help support my creative process and all the work that i do that goes into pick what of things if you become a subscriber at five dollars a month you will receive handwritten thank you note that doubles as a conjuring spell if you do $25 a month you can get that handwritten thank you note that doubles as a con conjuring spell and have it touched with a little bit of lavender an exclusive fig widow merch ring that i'm having made right at this moment and if you do 100 which is like ooh, 
Thank you so much. You're a sweetie who understands and appreciates the level of work that goes into creating and performing one's art. You're also a radical as heck and committed to advancing the voices of black women. And that $100 comes with the ultimate prize of a handwritten thank you note and a signed copy of my book, The Location. You'll also get a widow ring, sticker pack, and your choice of other merch. Yeah, so if you have it in you, if you are able to, I understand we're all struggling out there. Give as, give as little as a dollar, give five dollars, give whatever you can, and it will be so appreciated and it will support black artists and black art. Thank you for everything. Thanks for listening and peace. So we unfortunately had a little bit of a technical difficulty when talking about keys on top of a bop. Um, so it, we recorded it, but then it got like grainy and sort of not able to be heard at all so i'm just going to tell you guys what her, uh there on top of a bop was so keys on top of a bop was the song that we both love called fall into you by rose heart and that's r-o-s-e-h-r-d-t it's like super cool chill little bop um the cover art is like the singer in these like deep pink and peach and purple smoke atmosphere it's like really cool so look for that album art and look for that song it's so good it's like just really fun and a, a hashtag mood to listen to so that was the untoppable bop for the week along with mine which was prince's controversy thank you for listening to another episode of the fig widow cast next week i'll be back to talk about overcoming that negative self-talk that makes you want to not make art anymore. So I'll be by myself the next week talking about that stuff. You can follow me on Instagram at bellbibdeho. That's bell.bib.deho. I'll also plug Key's Instagram in the description of this podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at figwidow. And I have a Facebook for my art artist page stuff. And that is just Danny Janae Poet. You can follow Key on their Instagram and look out for the show that's coming up for their first showcase in a long time. It's going to be so awesome, so exciting, so sexy, so cool. I really can't wait and I hope to see you there. But until then, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs>